Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Loaded show for you today. I'm excited for it. It is week two of Miami. I'm going to talk to Alex Gruskin about some of the storylines that have emerged. Uh, we're going to hit on Felix and Dennis, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, and where the three of them are at in comparison to each other. Taylor Fritz, once again, still alive. And uh, Sinner versus uh, Alcaraz, which is a, a long-standing conversation between Gruskin and I. But I do want to start with just a couple of observations I want to throw your way on week one. Um, as you can tell by my coverage, it, you know I haven't been able to put full attention on Miami. Uh, but here's kind of what I've picked up along the way, starting with Kyrgios Rublev, which is a result that ruffled a lot of feathers early in the week. Uh, Kyrgios is still alive, and he'll play Yannick Sinner. He's actually favored in the uh, betting market against Yannick Sinner. So Nick has kind of continued what we saw last week at Indian Wells, which is, I would say, a positive thing, especially physically. It, it has looked like his knees have bothered him at points this week, but ultimately he's held up. He's serving unbelievably well. Uh, and he's still keeping up the intensity and putting a lot of effort on the court into winning tennis matches. But I want to talk about what we saw tactically in that match, which is a complete disrespect by Nick Kyrgios of Andre Rublev's second serve. Tactical disrespect. Because Nick Kyrgios, if he was standing any closer in, in, on his return position, he would have been hitting half volleys, which you obviously don't want. Nick was standing solidly somewhere in between the service line and the baseline. And taking that much time away, and you got to remember the serve as a technique, it takes a long time to kind of get out of your motion after landing on your left foot if you're a righty and then kind of coming back down to your split step position, it, it takes some time. When someone is taking that much time away, you are going to feel like the ball is on you in a split second. And the amount of time away that Nick was taking away from Rublev was going to make it impossible for Andre to win second serve points. It was 6-3, 6-love. So we didn't get a, a large sample size here because it was so one-sided. Uh, but Rublev was 4 of 19 on second serve points. I'm just going to uh, use the Google machine to confirm that I'm remembering that correctly. I remember 4 of 19 on second serve points. And let's see, I'm getting 25% win percentage, uh, but I know he won four. So was it four of 20 and then they rounded something like that? I think it might've been four of 20 actually. Well, first of all, from Rublev's perspective, he's played a lot of tennis recently. He went deep to the semifinal at Indian Wells. That transition is no joke. It is not easy initially if you go deep in Indian Wells to just adjust to Miami. Now, you do get a couple of days off, and this match was, I want to say, Thursday. Uh, it was Thursday at the earliest. So, Andre, you know, would have had some time, but I 
do expect that players who go deep at Indian Wells might run into a roadblock or a buzzsaw in their first match back in Miami. The air is completely different. Even if the conditions, which I'll get to later, are similar, the, the air is completely different, and that makes a big difference. So the loss in itself is not crazy bad for Rublev. What's worse is just how he lost with uh, the way Kyrgios absolutely punished his second serve in a way that is not new. We've seen it before. It was a key for Taylor Fritz as well. But I just want to talk about what Rublev can do about this. Because obviously this is a huge problem. He's not going to beat top players on a consistent basis unless his second serve gets better. No hesitation in that statement on my end. He will not beat top players unless that shot gets better. I don't care what happens in the rest of his game. It's not going to happen because he's getting attacked to the point where he's not going to be winning a acceptable number of second serve points against players with the talent of Kyrgios and Fritz who have the hand skills to execute that and who have backhands, good enough backhands that they're able to execute that. Rublev kicks it to the backhand. That's the serve that, you know, 80% of second serves by righties to righties. That's the second serve you're going to see. That's Rublev's second serve, but it's 80 miles per hour on average. And that's slow. What he really needs against someone who's trying to return that way against him is a 90 mile per hour second serve to the body. That's what you do. Or, you know, in the case of the better second servers, it would be 100. But let's baby steps here. You get it up to 90 miles per hour, you serve it to the body, and Kyrgios is going to get jammed, and he's going to have to move back. We see what Nadal does on the second serve against Kyrgios. He stands close in. Nadal hits body, second serves. That's what to do. When someone crowds the box, when someone hits you with that kind of return position, super aggressive, super shallow, uh, that's what you do. You serve body. Because there's not going to be time for them to get out of the way of the ball. If you serve kick backhand to someone standing up there, well, the angle's going to get cut off. You're not going to stretch them out. And you're not going to get it over their shoulders up high like you want on a kick serve because they're taking the ball on the rise so early it's never going to get above the shoulder. So by serving out wide when Nick is standing there, you're not doing anything. You are not doing tactically what has a chance to work. The plan B, maybe plan C, right? Plan A is kick to the backhand. Plan B is go to the body. Plan C is perhaps develop a slower slice serve as your second serve to at least keep the contact point a little bit lower, which can make for an awkward return to attack. Most famously, this is kind of Andy Murray's second serve. It's not a kicker. It's a slicer. It's a little bit slow, but at least it stays low. That's a lot better than a slow kick serve, which is going to sit up like a meatball. If Rublev wants to, you know, if Rublev has trouble to get the, those miles per hour up, well, then maybe he can hit a slice serve instead. It's going to at least stay lower and be a little bit more difficult to, to attack. Right now, second serve is a sitting duck, and Kyrgios was able to take advantage of that. Last night, uh, Tsitsipas played Alex D. Menor, and the matchup went exactly how uh, we've seen it go 
uh, in the early stages of this head-to-head. It is now a uh, tour only. It's now 8-0 in favor of Tsitsipas. And just watching the match last night, I, I do have a couple of thoughts on why that is. Tsitsipas' defense, and yes, this court is slow, and I think it's safe to say everybody could look at this matchup and know that Alex is going to need a fast court to do well. That aside, how does Demonor attack? He attacks by taking the ball early and changing direction down the line. He attacks the way players attack when they don't hit a very fast and heavy ball. Which, by the way, Demonor can can really lean into his forehand. You might say, Gil, I watched the match. He hit a bunch of really big forehands. He can only do that. Demonor can only hit his forehand really, really big when he is stationary, when he get, gets plenty of time to load up and set his feet and really lean into it, put all his body weight into the forehand. When that is the case, he, he can hit a pretty hard forehand. But in general, Demonor uses time and geometry, time and width. Takes the ball early, cross-court angles, redirections down the line. It's not weight of shot. It's just not how Demonor constructs offense. And that's by necessity, he's a smaller guy. I just think against Tsitsipas' defense. Steph, incredibly fast player, subpar to average pace absorption. If you want to make inroads on Stefano Tsitsipas offensively, the best way to do that is going to be able to is going to be to hit very 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 heavy to his backhand side really and make him absorb that pace on his backhand. I just didn't feel like Demonor who hit a lot of backhands down the line that just were I mean they did nothing. In fact, they were counterproductive because Tsitsipas's defense into that corner is just so good and his counterattacking out of that corner is so good. His backhands down the line, they were just a net negative. And it just didn't feel like he could get the forehand down the line going either without much weight of shot. It just wasn't attacking the right parts of Tsitsipas's defense. Because on a hard court, sometimes you feel like Steph is not great defensively. He's not breaking serve. He is losing neutral rallies against elite players. Sometimes you feel that way. But then sometimes you feel like his defense is incredible. Like last night. He looked awesome, by the way, all around. I, I will say that. But sometimes it looks like his defense is incredible. Sometimes it looks like it's vulnerable. What's going on here? To me, what's going on is some players can bother Steph with pure power and weight of shot, which actually works against Tsitsipas. And I talk all the time about how you're not going to hit the ball hard enough to bother Medvedev or Djokovic or Zverev. I talk all the time about that. Tsitsipas is the opposite. You can bother him with how hard you're hitting the ball. You can't bother him by using the width of the court because he's so fast. He's going to defend really well. So that's what I see in that head-to-head. Um, I also want to shout out Yannick Sinner, who uh, we are going to hit on with Gruskin. To me, showing champions qualities. Now, it's hard to judge exactly how good Sinner has been in 2022. It is difficult because he's 0-2 against top 15 players. 
but he's got a tremendous record overall in 2022. His only other loss is against Nick Kyrgios. He's 15-2 and two in 2022, but that should be a three. So I don't know why Tennis Abstract is giving me a two there. Uh, he should be 15-3. and three. Oh, it's because it was a walkover. It's because it was a walkover. That's why. Okay, it is 15-2. and two. Um, I guess I just thought of that as, you know, obviously he got sick and had to pull out. Um, so, yeah, a loss to Tsitsipas and a loss to Hercoc, but he's had a good season. I just want to say, last three matches against Benjamin Bonzi in Indian Wells, a match that I was at, he was dizzy, he was sick, whatever was going on with with whatever he was battling at Indian at Indian Wells, it was in that match where you kind of saw it for the first time and just kind of recovered physically and a real gritty performance with less than his best. He was able to beat Bonzi in that third set when he was looking down and out in the second. Emil Rusevori was playing awesome and Sinner saves match points against Rusevori. And then Carreño Busta in the previous round saves match points in the second, down 5-2 in the third, still wins the match. Three matches in a row now, Sinner has plenty of reasons to tap out, to call it quits, to bend over, and he just hasn't done it. And the expressiveness on the court that he's showing is night and day. And he got this crowd in Miami. I thought they were playing in Rome. I'm still a little bit confused about why the crowd was so intensely behind Yannick Sinner. Literally confused. Because it's Miami. It's not Rome. But it literally was like Rome out there. And Yannick has, is bringing a certain level of compete and intensity and tenacity and the resilience that he's shown in the last three rounds. I think that deserves a shout out. That's champion's qualities. That's a championship quality right there for Yannick Sinner. Last thing, I want to end on the conditions. What's going on here? Uh, I thought the tournament was going to play way quicker than it has. I think it's played quicker in the past. It seems to me like he slowed it down uh, or that they've slowed it down. Uh, we've, we've heard Medvedev vocal about the court speed. Uh, I just think in rally... It's looked very slow. I think we we have seen some effective serving, but in rally, it's been hard to hit through this court. And uh, I do think it's slowed down. I'm not sure why, but uh, Kale Hammond, who is uh, running a, uh, a betting advice media outlet on his own, KaleHammondBets.com, uh, he talks to some players, and they have talked about the ball, the Dunlop ball, that is just fluffing up a lot. So his angle is that it is... Fast enough when the balls are new, but these Dunlop balls, something about either the balls or the, or the court and the way those two are interacting, the balls are getting so fluffed up so quickly that at the end of ball changes, these balls are going nowhere. And maybe that's why we've seen so many insane comebacks. Uh, the Yannick Sinner comeback against Carino Busta is one. Um, we even saw one yesterday with Jensen Brooksby coming back from four love down in the third set against Roberto Bautista Agut. We have seen some crazy comebacks. Perhaps that is because the serve is really being nullified at the end of ball changes. So slower conditions than I thought. Obviously, the humidity is going to play into that, and it's going to get physical out there. And um, something to keep in mind as we move on through the tournament is that this is not the fast 
hardcore tournament that I thought it was. Before we get to Alex Gruskin, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends at Play Your Court, the place to go if you're looking for a local coach, practice partner, or match. In fact, the number one reason people stop playing tennis is because they can't find anyone to play with, which is silly. I don't want that to happen to you, so I've arranged a 60%, sorry, 50% off discount for you to join the Player Court community at the link below. It'll be in the description. Playyourcourt.com backslash Gilgros for 50% off to join Play Your Court. We're joined once again by Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets, editor in chief who doesn't edit, uh, host of three podcasts. Uh, the place to be for college tennis, by the way. You probably know that uh, if you are a college tennis fan, but I will throw that out there. Um, thanks for uh, coming on once again. You are on time and, and ready to go, and you're decked out. I mean, what's the occasion here? Well, slight correction. I do edits in the sense that I make the notes of, hey, Super Producer Daniel Westoff, you may want to edit this segment off. Now, ultimately, he makes that decision, and usually we never cut anything. Uh, but there is at least the note process that's done. Uh, why am I formally decked out? Because I had to interview a college tennis coach this morning, and I was like, I should put on a college shirt if I'm not going to shave. I seriously considered shaving for the Monday Match Analysis YouTube comment section because they are my favorite comment section and my favorite people in all of tennis outside of our Crack Rackets fans, of course. Um, but I didn't. And here I am today, raggedy as ever, blurry screen, indicative of the haze I've been in since this college tennis season started. Nevertheless, it's the second half of the Sunshine Swing. It is always a pleasure to be here to talk some tennis with you. Yeah, uh, they they will let you know what, what they think. Uh, I wore like a shirt that was a basketball jersey and it was cut like a little bit lower on my chest and I did get analysis on my chest hair uh, in, <laughs> in in the comments. So Tuesday or, YouTube chest analysis. That's a good show. Is yeah. that a follow up on the channel? That's season <laughs> it three. Be. It might be. Uh, lack thereof, actually. Let's <laughs> well, start with- I've seen the numbers when you talk anything but Djokovic. So like you might as well branch out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start. Uh, we got to start with Felix. Uh, and you can interrupt me if I'm off here, but but for the the audience, uh, we have obviously been talking about Felix, you and I, for a couple of years now. And I feel like I've I was on the negative train a little bit because I didn't see him getting any better. And it was, you know, I was concerned about that. And you, you know, you've always been confident that Felix will arrive. You know, it will happen for him. He's on his way. There's no reason to panic about the career of FAA. And at the start of this year, I did a total 180 on it. Or I don't know if it's a 180, but I started to drink the Kool-Aid in a big way. Phenomenal from the start. ATP Cup, Australian Open with the five-set loss to Medvedev that I thought was a great loss wins that first title, Rotterdam, makes the final the next week in Marseille. I come into the Sunshine Double. I picked him to the Indian Wells final reluctantly because I knew the conditions wouldn't be great for him. And then more confidently picked, picked him to win Miami. He's 0-2. Yeah. You're, he, he, he went 0-2 at the Sunshine Double. He loses to Botik von de Zanschgolp at Indian Wells, a loss that I didn't think was so bad. Then he loses to Miramir Kecmanovic in his first match in Miami. What are we to make of this at this point? It's 
you know, all my TV references are lost on you, but in an HBO season, you know, there are usually eight episodes and episode six, seven is where the season peaks or it's 10 episodes, episode seven, eight, nine, where things peak and then things calm down by 10. This is like a really bad episode four, this Sunshine Swing. (laughs) For Felix, where you're like, yeah, you know, he's still got the three slams to make up for it, right? And the low-hanging fruit from a rankings perspective, because he's got a lot of slam points to defend in the back half of the season, he has really nothing to defend here in the clay court season. So I don't think it's time to panic. I will forever think the heaviness of his serve, his forehand, the weight of that shot should be more effective on clay than the results thus far in his career at the ATP level have dictated I'm not hitting the panic button yet because I always think it's important to frame the Felix discussion in the fact that he is younger than Sebastian Corda and like two months older than Jensen Brooksby. And if you're asking me to compare the career trajectories of guys at the same age between those three, I think we would agree unequivocally Felix would be number one. You can quabble between, you know, I just to work in the college tennis ties one more time. Jensen Brooksby obviously spent half a semester, the COVID half of the semester at Baylor. The amount of times Baylor men's tennis head coach Michael Woodson and I get into a debate about Corda versus Brooksby, I would say it's like a third of our conversations. Like anytime <laughs> there's a Brooksby's a result, he's like, What do you think about this now? And I'm like, All right, let's relax. Um, the point being, when you frame it like that, Felix has accomplished so much at, you know, age, what he's 21 now, and he doesn't turn 22 until August of this year. At the same time, at a certain point, you wonder, because we know what the uh, early on, the fear is Felix becomes a one dimensional, right? When the serve, when the forehand are clicking, he hits them at a level as good as anyone else. You look over the past 52 weeks, he's top 20 in hold percentage. That number keeps improving. The break percentage gets better, even if it's not a top 25 number now, but it's been flirting with it. At the same time, I mean, you watched the Kasmanovich match. The ball got on Felix's shoulder, and he just wasn't able to play aggressive front foot tennis, and he really didn't have a second or third gear to turn to. And that just happens frequently. Like, my why I stay stock up on Felix is because there's five people on the, in the world who can play the sort of aggressive front foot tennis that he's capable of playing. The problem is, and I don't remember if it was you who made this comparison or someone on my show, is the best comparison for Felix's game, Matteo Berrettini, is that the comparison we should be making? Like the ceiling for Felix is a slightly better Berrettini, which is a hell of a player. But like, is that the game model he should be crafting it where it's just double down, Big serve, big forehand, that's my game style. He's he's just too good an athlete to yeah. for that to be the best course of action. And that's the the massive difference between Felix and Mateo is Felix is can be one of the best movers in the world. He's just not one of the best defenders I, in the world. I disagree with that. I don't know if I agree with that from a move. Is he that fluid? Like, does he have no. the fluidity of the Medvedevs of the you know, the Zverevs and obviously some of the, the demon hours of the world. I, I don't think. He no, does. no, he's not. He's not in the top 1%, but he's in the top five to 10%. I think for sure, especially okay. in quickness. And I know, I know it doesn't always look great. Like he's not, he, he doesn't defend that well, but from a, from a speed perspective, I think he's as mobile as, as really it gets besides right. maybe besides those like this. top five 
kind of guys. So let's play this game and let's assume if we're saying top 10, top 5% of top 100 players, because with all due respect, there are some outstanding movers who are better than Felix outside the top 100. But if we play that game, it gets too big. I think I can make name 10 better movers than Felix pretty quickly. I'm going to go through my head. You tell me yes or no, because I think I can get to this list. Obviously, <laughs> okay. I think Demon Hour is yes. exceptional. Francis Tiafo. Uh, they're similar. They're similar. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I mean, dis- I think there's a fluidity to Tiafo in and out of corners that Felix backhand side doesn't have. All right, we'll put we'll put Tiafo aside for a second, but that's interesting. Okay. Okay. Demon hours are for sure. Yes. Yeah. Luffy. Yeah. Medvedev. Yes. Okay, that's an easy three. I mean, uh, Schwartzman. Can I can I help? Yeah, Schwartzman for sure. Okay, four. Yeah, help me. Yeah, Djokovic. Five. Duh. I can't believe I didn't say. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, listen. That was so stupid of me. The fastest man in the world right now. Yeah. Car- Carlos Alcaraz. Six. Correct. Six. I would say Zverev, if we're being honest. Yeah, I think similar the speeds. size. Yeah, but the size component as well yeah. is what gives Zverev the edge. Sure. So that's seven, eight. Tommy Paul? Yes. Okay, so that's nine. Is I don't know how you don't have Francis above Felix. I'm, like, baffled that that was, that, that was a fun pause. You, you stumped me for a second. I'm a little, my mind was going, Look. Um, but okay, so it's not a definitive thing. Oh, this is great. And by the way, I did not expect the opening to be Felix. I thought for sure we were going to go American men or that, you know, everyone's 26 and younger, Alex. This is your fantasy. And we start with Felix. All of this to say, I, I the glass is still half full because we saw what he was capable of at the Australian Open. We saw what he was capable of in New York, at Wimbledon. And to your point about him as a mover, I don't know if he's a top 10 mover, but from a physicality standpoint, the combination of movement and strength, I agree with you. He's top 10% in that category. And I agree with you that in the three out of five set format, I think that matters that much more. And that's where he shines. And that's why it's still glass half full for me. Right. He's in amazing shape. He moves well enough to be someone who can play at all levels, defense, neutral offense, right? So what's the angle here on the 0-2 Sunshine Double? I think there's there's a couple things from my perspective. First of all, the surface is slowed down. And, you know, you talk about Felix's serve and his forehand and how often are players able to get past that initial attack uh, of the Felix serve plus one. And the slower the conditions, the more frequent players are going to be able to get past that and get into those rallies and Felix is still not an elite player from neutral. He's just, he doesn't win rallies against the very best players in the world. Now he still should be able to, in my opinion, certainly against Kecmanovic and Von de Zanschkult. However, I will also say the second angle of this. So the first thing is the surfaces slow down. So are we still looking at Felix as a fast court player? And that's why at the start of 2022 with what we saw in Australia, Maybe it just gave us a certain idea of what he was going to be this season. And in reality, there's still a conditions factor. The second thing that I'd like you to weigh in on, we're talking about 96 player draws with 32 seats. Fonda Zanschkulp and Kecmanovic, first match, both times. Are those two top 40 right now? Are they both top 40 
Yes. That so, is super unlucky. Yes, you're absolutely correct. I would say it's twofold for Felix. A, you're right. The conditions, the slowing down of the surface when it's just not as easy for him to hit through the court. And by the way, I apologize. I'm looking up every so often. That's because on my monitor, then I've had some laptop issues. That's where I see the zoom. So if I'm not looking directly at the camera, I do apologize. I'm also, again, intimidated by this Monday match analysis crew. I guys, I know you're going to come after me for everything I do in all the right ways. Um, I would say for Felix, a so you know I like to make lists, and you go to our friends at Tennis Abstract. You can look at their stats leaderboard. It has the leaders in hold percentage, break percentage amongst top fifty players. There are eight players in twenty twenty two who rank top twenty in both hold and break percentage. Mirmir Kasmanovic is one of them. He has been unequivocally one of the five most improved players of twenty twenty two. He's off to I would argue one of the 10, 15 best seasons of the year thus far as well. One of the, what, few guys who makes round four in both Indian Wells and here in Miami. It's a testament to how consistently he's played, how well he's played. He got the ball up on Felix's shoulder. And so where I would, again, disagree with you is I don't think Felix plays poorly on at neutral. I think it's when people can you know again it's when he has to play defensive tennis it's when he's not on his front foot it's when he's not inside or momentum moving forward into the court i don't know if i would describe that as neutral the other take i would have wait so when he's not moving forward and attacking no right? because because i think to him a neutral ball sets up the attack like i think when his to me neutral is his feet are set when his feet are set he's fine like he could exchange forehand to forehand anyone if he knows cross courts the pattern that's coming. I, I don't worry about him. Right. Uh, we don't. We don't need to split hairs on this. But to me, any yeah. any any time he's in a position where he, you know, the ball's unattackable, he cannot attack. That is yeah. neutral. Okay. In that sense, then yes, I do agree with you. The other thing, and this is, I, I think the more tennis I watch, sometimes the dumber I feel because, you know, early on you get so excited. You're like, I can see the nuances. I can see all the little takes. My hot take coming out of the sunshine swing is that Felix just served really poopily. Like it was a poopy performance on serve. He made what? 52% yep. of his first serves against Vanderson Sculp. He loses that match seven, six, six, seven, six, three. It's a poopy serving performance. <laughs> Yesterday, he made 58.6% of his first serves. Over the last 52 weeks, he's at 62.5%. That's just not good enough. Like, And his second serve was very bad yeah. against Kecmanovic. I prefer the term poopy, but bad works as well. Yeah, it's just like, because he wants to be the aggressor, front foot tennis is so important. He needs to serve well. He didn't in the sunshine swing. Like, Sometimes I know that's really, I come here for analysis and you're just telling me he served poorly, but with all the analysis we've said with the margins being a little thinner for him, because you know, plans B, C and D aren't that exceptional. He has to serve well. He didn't in the sunshine swing. Yes. That, that indicates some of the other things he needs to get better on, but that's why I'm not hitting the panic button yet either. Okay. So I think we've fleshed that out nicely. Uh, Shapovalov, just because they're kindred spirits, uh, I will I will mention. You know, he's also had a disappointing Sunshine double uh, going. Uh, Can we do the big three power rankings real quick? Sorry, I didn't mean. What, to what do you mean? Interrupt. What do you mean? The big, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? The big three. three? So first of all, season six of three a tennis show is going to be the new big three, which will be Alcaraz, Sinner, FAA, because that's just where we're going to be at that point. Um, if we're doing the power rankings right now. 
I think if you were to ask me after Australia, it would probably have been, oh, it would have been really close. I think right now everyone has to have Carlos number one in that power ranking. And then, man, was it fun watching Sinner escape against Carreno Busta. I mean, is Felix now number three in the big three rankings? It, it's, yeah, exactly. It's tight between him and Sinner. And Alcaraz is starting to stretch the lead. He is. He's but, got the you know, Ferrari anyway, I'm, this year. Where I'm he's not, just flying on these fastest laps. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite ready to, to make the call between FAA and Sinner right now. I still feel like we're getting a gauge. I want to see more. Um, I'd love to see some clay court tennis yeah. uh, for sure. So, okay. But yeah, no, I think we can agree. That's not something you say often. It is something I, I say often. I want to see clay court. Does anyone actually like clay court? Uh, you know yes. what? That's actually not true. There are times when I really like clay court tennis. There are other times where I'm like, just stab me in the chest. Please. <laughs> like, you know what it is? And I'm sorry to your fan base in particular. If I have to watch Rafa play Federer on clay ever again, I will gouge out my eyeballs. Like, you know exactly. Like, wait. Rafa's going to take this backhand elevated up the line. No way. It's just like I, that match, like Nadal joke, bitch on clay, Mwah. but I can't watch Federer Nadal on clay again. Okay. Yeah. I, predictability is, is definitely not something we want in entertainment value for rivalries. So uh, I feel that we haven't seen it since that wind match in 2019 where Nadal played incredible and obliterated him. So uh, fair, fair. Uh, let's reassess Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, who all, who all went out early in Indian Wells. And I want to, I want to pull up the ATP race right now, uh, because I think it's, it's pretty interesting from the perspective of these guys. You obviously have Medvedev, Australian open finalist. He's at number two. Then you have Tsitsipas at number six, and you probably want to be higher than that. Then you have Zverev at 18 in the race right now. They're all in at Miami, all three of them. So I feel like we're getting, you know, uh, again, uh, kind of a, a chance to reassess where, where those three are at. And I guess, you know, is Medvedev running away with this right now? Or uh, where are you at with, with Zverev and Tsitsipas who have had some struggles already in 2022 where, you know, without, Djokovic in the picture at, at the very least. And now we're going to see without Nadal in the picture for a little bit, they were expected to kind of become the dominant threesome. And I think it's fair to say they haven't quite been that. Yeah, no, um, I have some numbers prepared for you uh, on this subject because I knew this was one we were going to hit. And I think the metrics right now are fascinating on all of these players because you mentioned the rankings. Again, I want to turn to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Their ELO ratings, which are a result-based formula. It's who you beat, how you beat them, much less so than where and when you beat them, like the ATP ranking system is. Therefore, you know, in the ATP ranking system, a semifinal win is always going to be valued more than a quarterfinal win, regardless of who the opponent is. In Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, the opponent matters. You look in the overall ELO ratings right now. Medvedev 2, Zverev 3, Elkaraz 5, which is just mwah, delicious. Tsitsipas is at number 9 overall. You look at the yearly ELO ratings, which measures just their 2022 results. Medvedev right now, number seven. Tsitsipas, number 12. Alex Virev, number 16. 
I think I would lean more towards those yearly ELO ratings right now in terms of how the guys have played overall. Now, again, three out of five sets on hard courts. It's a different story. Medvedev has built that benefit of the doubt. Uh, I would argue most of the times Zverev has as well at the slams, the Australian Open being the exception that lost to Shapovalov. I mean, Shapovalov just took it to him there, and that's why he's as low as he is right now in the yearly ELO ratings. And yet, when you look at the staff's leaderboard, and again, top 10, 15, 20, 25 club, who are ranking in both top 10, et cetera, in both hold and break percentage right now, how frequently they're holding serve and breaking serve. By the way, before I get into this, are you at the point of the season now? And I know you're always just 2022, 2021. Have you abandoned last 52 weeks now on the stats leaderboard? Are you looking at just 2022? Um, I'm looking at usually both, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking a lot at just 2022. Well, I'm glad you say you look at both because I have the stats leaderboards for both the last 52 weeks and here this season. Top 10 club over the last 52 weeks. Makes a lot of sense. Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, and Kasparud, who cleaned up on everyone at the 250 level. As yep. such, his stats are going to look ridiculous. That group makes sense. Only one player ranks top 10 in both hold and break percentage in the last 52 weeks. Can you guess that player, Gil? Uh, excuse me, not in the last 52 weeks, in 2022. 2022? Just one player top 10 in both hold and break percentage. I almost think since we're talking i mean out of the three it would be medvedev it's zverev zverev is top 10 right now in hold and break percentage which again i test wise i mean his win over brooksby in mexico was like a really good match or just a really weird match and i know that gets clouded obviously by what happened in the doubles and his subsequent suspension then he loses at indian wells but the numbers are saying that alex zverev has not played that poorly to start the season, which to me was just fascinating to note. You look beyond that. Again, here in 2022, Zverev's your only top 10 club member. Top 15, Rafa Nadal, Andre Rublev. And it makes sense, given Andre Rublev swept the Middle East swing. Top 20 club, Medvedev, Sinner, Taylor Fritz, which again, I test-wise makes sense, your Indian Wells champion. Gael Monfils, who has been very, very good over the past six months. And Miramir Kasmanovic, who has been one of the breakout stars here early in the season. When you get to the top 25 level, you add Carlos Alcaraz. And for him, it's the holding serve, not the breaking serve, where he's top three right now in break percentage. Brooksby, then you get Bautista Gut, Carreno Busta, which makes sense because they are your veterans right now. They're your 28 to 31-year-olds who are still good. And then Dan Evans gets thrown in the mix, which to me is a funny inclusion there in the top 25 club. I mean, yeah, like uh, the, the reason I bring all of that up is you ask me where all of these guys rank right now. And to get back to your question, it's splitting hairs. Like the numbers say Zverev is still as good as he has always been. And I think if you've watched him in Miami, I mean, he looked excellent against Backy McDonald, played such a good match there. I thought he was in control against George, just kind of took his foot off the gas in that second set. But Again, I think Zverev is as likely to win this tournament as anyone. Medvedev had two perfect opponents for him in Murray and Martinez to start the tournament. He's playing great. And now we get Tsitsipas Alcaraz again. Like, it's tough for Tsitsipas. That's a brutal draw for him right away. And, you know, 
for Medvedev gets, I think, Brooksby next, right? And I think that's yeah. going to be really, that's gonna be a really good fun. One. Yeah. Zverev gets Kokonakis. That's a match he should cruise in, particularly given the physical nature of the matches Kokonakis has played to, you know, three-set thrillers. Up a break 3-2 as we speak. Yeah, I, I, uh, Zverev is. Yes. And so, yeah, I think Zverev is the, just by the draw. He's probably the guy with the easiest path to the final. At the same time, I think they've all looked pretty good this week in Miami. Like, this is the best week for all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think Tsitsipas and, and Zverev have, yeah, I, I agree. They've all looked great, all three of them. Um, yeah, there I was think... a lot there. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. With, uh, with Zverev, you know, it's been the nature of the losses. His second serve gets abused against Tommy Paul. He wins 34% of points behind his second serve. Against Bublik, it was a super flat performance energy-wise, and Bublik is not a player who has pulled off uh, wins like that in his career. He hasn't shown to be dangerous okay, against players like Okay, but did you like watch Sir. that match? Yeah. I thought Bublik was – you might have been on the call for it. I thought Bublik was sensational in, in just that entire tournament. Just uh, He was locked in in a way – I mean, again, when he and Kyrgios, I, I think the parallels between them are obviously with the big serves are so obvious, the flair that they have. But Bublik was locked in in a way in that match where he was like, you know what, I'm going to beat Zverev today, and I'm going to get in his head with the second serve thing. And I think with Zverev, that's just the biggest issue. Is it just yeah. continues to persist in every match he loses, it's because the second serve abandoned him. And it's like, all right, now it's seven years in a row. The book is out. Yeah, these were passive performances. Like, I, I yeah. thought he was defending too much against Bublik. And, but yeah, Bublik was on the money for sure. Shapovalov, same thing. I mean, Dennis played great, but Zverev just was very, very, Tentative very passive. Yeah, yeah, very, 100%. very, ten yeah. So it's just, and he said this in Miami, he feels like he needs to go after it more. And now he is. And it's kind of like, well, what what's going on here? Like, why do we keep doing this uh, where you're forgetting how you need to play on a consistent basis and then remembering, re-remembering again, how you need to play. It's like, you know, who's not having that problem. Taylor Fritz talk about someone who knows how he needs to play every time he takes the court right now. I, I mean, it's like, stop losing your identity. It's really kind of inexplicable. Is, is, Forgetting the second serve and what to do on those points, a top three issue for Alex Zverev right now. Like, you think about all the issues he has. Maybe that's why he forgets. He's like, well, I just smashed a racket. Like, I suspended <laughs> again, all these different things. It's like, he loses track with all the issues. No, I mean, to your point about Fritz, I mean, talk about a guy who's just in control right now. And I continue to stand by my theory the ankle injury was a fabricated Netflix storyline because if you watched him yesterday against Tommy Paul, I mean, the guy just, he's on another level physically this season. He is just getting to balls that uh, before the knee injury at the French Open, he was not getting to. And again, this guy injures himself. We, can, we need his stem cells, whatever it is, because he comes back better and better after each time. And it's just, if he gets <laughs> his racket on the ball, if, if he can hit the ball cleanly, there's going to be depth on it. And if he's able to set his feet, like you're screwed because I'm, I'm telling you in his body language, he laughs now when players try to up the pace in a neutral rally. He's like, Oh, that's cute. Watch what I can do. And he just blasts a ball down the line. Like, you know, ball striking is such a mythical concept. You're not going to find someone who strikes a better ball than Taylor Fritz. He is playing the best 
power, pure power baseline tennis in the world right now. And you look at some of the, you know, the competition in that category, if we're doing it Oscar style, best power baseline tennis goes to, and your nominees would be a guy like Rublev, maybe a guy like Felix. Um, How about your best impression of a Juan Martin Del Potro? Like nominations, Taylor Fritz right now, just blasting everything on the forehand. Yeah, he he is. And the, the miles per hour averages are up massive from last year. They're up in, you know, the Basilishvili Berrettini range. Mm-hmm. He feels pretty consistent. Like it never feels out of control with him. The question is now at this point in the season, is he going to be in Turin at the end of the year? Are we looking at a top eight season for Taylor Fritz? And I think that is going to be, the best question you can ask about his season right now. I think that's where the bar has been set. I'm going to go one further than that. He needs to make the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. I I think the two are interlinked because I think to be top eight, you have to make the Grand Slam quarterfinal. There's just going to be too many guys. I mean, we're booking spots, right? Medvedev will be there. I think despite all of his struggles, we would still all believe Zverev would be there. I think Nadal may have already clinched a spot just given his start to the season, but you know, he'll be there. If Djokovic isn't playing, a spot opens up for everyone. And it's just, yeah, much like last year, it's going to be a really fun race because, you know, Hubi Hercats has quietly been fine in the sunshine, shine, sh- <laughs> sunshine swing, leave that in, um, in the sunshine swing. And I think Nori's still been really, really solid. He'll be in the mix. Certainly, if you like Sinner, Alcaraz, their head is through the door. Felix, with his start to the season in Australia, keeps himself in play. Yeah, it's a question of, I mean, I would, it's a question of how he does in the clay court season. That's really what it does come down to, because I think he should make a quarterfinal at Wimbledon with his serve, his return, and just how easy thing, how easy it is for him to generate pace. He's always had success on the grass courts. I think Wimbledon should be a slam that he does well at. I think New York should be a slam he does well at. If he can just be a top 30 guy, like the key is no first round losses. If you can win all of your first round matches during the clay court season, make a third round, at the French Open, then sure, why not? That keeps it in play. But I would, if the betting man in me would say no, he will not make Turin. But what a question. I'm curious to see if he goes away completely in the clay court season. I will say, though, I think, I think there's <clears throat> enough evidence to suggest, and I think Hubert Hercott showed us this last year, right? You don't have to have results on the yeah. clay to make the top eight, just the way that the schedule goes. But uh, I agree that that's a big question. Uh, I'm, um, I'm definitely, I've been made into a believer. We have seen him now succeed on both the, the quicker version of hard courts and the slower version of hard courts. So, um, yeah, the, the stock is, is very high right now. Can I ask you a question about the American men? And I know when you came on our mini break podcast, which you can find on crackrackets.com or wherever you listen to your podcast, I asked you this question. You look right now at the latest edition of the live rankings. If you're an American men's tennis fan, I mean, how can you be anything but ecstatic? And I apologize. I'm looking down because I want to get this right. Top 40 Americans right now. Taylor Fritz at 12 in the live rankings. Opelka at 18. Isner 27. Tiafo 29. Tommy Paul 34. Brooksby 36. 
Corda 41, you've got Mackie McDonald at 51, Giron at 52. Point being, right now, you've got, I believe the number is six Americans inside the top 40 with Sebastian Corda right there at number 41. I think four and a half is number. I think the over-under is five and a half. Uh, I'll say four and a half because I think, well, you tell me, over-under four and a half or five and a half American men seated at New York. What should be the standard? I, I think... Four and a half, especially because you got to think that, you know, someone gets injured, like something, ha- right? Yeah. And uh, Riley's got a lot of points. Like, he's been excellent to start the season, but he's got two Masters, a major 1,000-level events, the semifinal on the clay, the final, obviously, in Canada. He's got to defend coming up. Yeah, uh, although he also has a lot of first-round exits that a he can back too. up. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, he just had, you know, last year was not consistent at all. And he's just kind of, you can brush it away because he had enough big runs to keep his ranking good, but it wasn't consistent. But yeah, you're looking at potentially really three spots away or four spots away from nine Americans in the in top 50 in the race, yeah. uh, which is, uh, if you're great at math, almost one in five players. Yeah, well, I think like one of Tommy and Francis is seated. I think Taylor and Riley sure things. Isner wins Atlanta. He's there. Um, what, you get one of Taylor or, Fran, or Tommy or Francis for sure. I also think you get one of Brooksby or Corda for sure. Because Brooksby's got I expect Brooksby. to defend in the clay yeah. courts. I really expect Brooksby to, to yeah. be top 30 by, by New York. I'd be surprised if he isn't. I know we kind of hinted at this uh, Sinner Alcaraz thing, but you know we're going to, again, uh, playing the hits again to another one of our classics. For those... Uh, who are in the international audience who may not know, there's this uh, show called First Take, and it it used to be Skip and Stephen A., and Stephen A. hates the Cowboys, and Skip is a Cowboys fan. And that's like the bread and butter that they'd always go to. And for uh, for Gruskin and I, it's uh, we decided that it was going to be Sinner versus Alcaraz. (laughs) But I have to now ask you, like, is this still the plan? Like, are you really going to go down this road and take Team Sinner against Carlos Alcaraz? Because, I mean, look, right now at this moment, it's looking a little bleak. Right now. Now, it hasn't been very long. You know, no. it's just the start of the season, but what do you think? I, can, I consulted my rabbi. We sat in the mikvah. We sweated out. We had this discussion at length. And, I mean, true believers never give up the faith right? You always have to stay true. And the problem is when a guy looks that good sleeveless and can pull it off and he's 18 years old and Ariel Fernandez at or I forget what the Twitter account is called is tweeting out every week. Like, Hey, Alcaraz is one of the six youngest players to do this, or one of the four youngest players to do that. And, you know, respectfully sinners, not on those lists. It's always Nadal and Djokovic and Del Potro and every so often sinner and a Felix appear it's really, really hard. I'll say this. I will never take a negative Carlos stand. I think what I'm going to do moving forward is going to say everything you say is accurate, but here's why I'm still high on Sinner. And I will say this. I think there's a natural in flair for the dramatic, a na- an ease with which Carlos Alcaraz can do something ridiculous on court and then embrace the crowd embracing his ridiculousness in a way that it's been a little bit more manufactured for Sinner. But if you watched his third set win, 7-5 in the third over Carino Busta in Miami, I have never seen a crowd get after it for Yannick Sinner the way that crowd got after it for Yannick Sinner. And 
what was it? Five match points he fought off. And the yep. only one that I think two of them, Carino uh, Busta regrets. He missed a second serve return early on. He also had a point where he set up a backhand line and he missed that backhand line. He missed it just wide. And I think he makes that backhand seven out of 10 times. That miss happens. It was a great miss, but that's the ball he wants back. Other than that. He sailed I'm, a forehand, I think as well. Yeah, but, but that was like a neutral. Yeah, you're right. He probably wants that one back as well. But point being that, you know, Sinner, I've, I've never seen Sinner go like tentative and neutral and just grind mode and like, I am not losing. You have to hit me off the court. And the best was when he was down 3-5. He goes, no, 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 Like, what am I doing? And he breaks it love for 4-5. And then, you know, again, fights off the match points while serving and just, yep. I still, he just hasn't been healthy. Like, that's been the real issue for him this season. And I still think there's a routine nature with which he gets results now. Like, he's into round of 16's quarters, and we just, for some reason, don't celebrate it the way that we do with Alcaraz. Um, my position will continue to be we're just all happy with the shiny new toy. But don't forget about the other toy that's still pretty new and pretty damn shiny. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I talked about this at the top. Sinner's toughness. I mean, the yes. last three wins, even against Bonzi at Indian Wells before he pulled out, these are tough, gritty wins that, Rus that you we know, We talked about could... the Kesmanovich draw. Rusevori, I would argue, is top four. That's a terrible draw. Right now as well. Yeah. Yep. That's a terrible draw as well. Um, and by the way, you know, we talk about, oh, like 2022 hasn't gone the right way for Yannick Center. I got a mailbag question. I didn't, uh, I didn't answer it, but uh, I got one that was like, can, can we talk about Center stagnation? And it's like, do you know what his win-loss record is in <laughs> matches that have finished this year? Yeah. You want to take a stab? I'm going like, to say 14 and 6. It's 15 and 2. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay. I mean, it's like because, you know, he, he yeah. exits Indian Wells, doesn't doesn't play the okay. match against Kyrgios. His other losses, it's to uh, Passet in Australia, where, in fairness, he did get blown off the court pretty much. And then uh, Herkoch in yeah. on indoors somewhere. Rotterdam, probably, I think, or something. Rotterdam, probably yeah. Rotterdam. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he's been good. It's uh, fifteen and two is. He's hilarious. fifteen and two. Yeah, I know. No. I, okay, I'm staking my camp. No. So then, to your my answer to you is no. <laughs> I I am still gonna stay team center. The power he can generate with these, he's getting more comfortable ripping through the backhand cross court, which is when you really know you're a power player. We talked about Fritz earlier and the confidence he has. When Fritz, when you leave Fritz a sitter on the backhand wing, not only can he rip line now, but he can rip cross and hit a ball through you that you can't track down. Sinner can do that as well. He's he's more fluid in the outer thirds every time I see him play. I think there is another jump for him physically that's going to come, and I actually think he's got the fluidity that I did not see early in his career. I mean, Alcaraz is a joke. Like, you pencil in sure things, and I know you never want to put that pressure on someone, but he's a sure thing. Um, I still feel the same way, though, about Yannick Sinner. So, yes, I'm, I'm holding firm. Yeah, Sinner, I mean, I, I have some critiques for sure, but I do want to say he is serving bigger this year and everyone should take notice of that the ace rate is up that's something i didn't mention at the top of the show that i should have uh he's serving twice as many aces yeah. on average than he was two years ago in 2020 and so it's obviously up from last year as well here's my argument yannick sinner top 20 club in 2022 top 20 club over the last 52 weeks at carlos alcaraz top 25 club in 2022 not in the top 25 and hold percentage over the last 52 weeks so the numbers say sinner's better I'm going to hold on to that. Give me those numbers. Okay. I mean, you know, the numbers that 
that matter a little bit more, I would say, uh, are. Okay. I think he's the Verstappen of the group. You know, it was coming. I that's think fair. that's actually the path box, for box, center. box. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the way for him to go here. I think just be the embrace the role of the villain, um, and just kind of be the, the uh, yeah, I, humble's the wrong word, but be the quiet but deadly sort of guy. Yeah, I think he's trying. I mean, we see that he's clearly trying though sure. to get people behind him. It's been a big change since the Tiafo match last fall, where I think he, he criticized Francis's on court behavior. And then I think someone got in his ear and was like, no, how about you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. You can tell it's been a shift. Yeah. We're going to, we're about to learn a lot. I think um, in Miami as a lot of the players we've talked about, you know, you're, you're Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev trying to come off the poor Indian Wells now they, you know, they have some besides Zverev up now five three on Kakanakis. We we're getting Tsitsipas Alcaraz. We're getting Medvedev Brooksby. We're about to learn a lot. It's going to be exciting. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, Gruskin, anything you want to promote before we wrap it up? Mini break. Great shot podcast. Correct interviews podcast. All available on the website crackrackets.com. If you'd like to see some outstanding tennis, because things slow down on the Sunshine Swing weekend. College tennis for you Fridays, Sundays. You can find the Friday SEC coverage on all of the team websites. Sunday, Big Ten coverage on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Obviously, hopefully, we'll be able to work your dulcet tones into the mix at some point as well. And again, I know you and I are going to get together on the mini break podcast to do a first third award show at some point next week. Always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you between now and then. Thank you, sir. It's fun. Take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.